Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Let's bow our heads and uh, commit this, this preaching of God's Word to, to His help. So Lord, we, we come before you this morning and we recognize the generations of people that are in this building this morning as we, as we look to your word. God, we thank you that you are faithful from one generation to the next. Thank you, God, that uh, there's um, young children here who will grow up to take the good news of your gospel and your word farther than we ever could. So God, we're excited about that. We thank you for that. God, we also recognize this morning that as we celebrate Christmas and your coming, Jesus, your coming wasn't just for your ability to identify with us. Lord, you came to save us, to redeem us, to set us free. So, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your unbelievable mercy. Thank you for your unlimited grace that is continually poured out upon our lives. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want to just turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to continue on from uh, last week, Isaiah chapter 9, as you turn there. Um, this week was a particularly, um, a bit of a difficult week for myself as well. Um, Brooks, Brooke Knudsen's grandfather, uh, Chuck Pals, passed away this week. And Chuck was really the, he was the, the founding pastor of Living Word Church, which planted us out. And so back in the late 70s, early 80s, um, Chuck planted out Living Word Church before people did stuff like church plants. And, um, and out of his vision to see not one church of 2,000, but 10 churches of 200, uh, smaller churches impacting their neighborhoods and communities, that's where this church was born from. And so uh, we carry on a bit of a legacy of, of what God had put in his heart for our churches. And um, it was a privilege to know Chuck. Uh, there'll be services, there'll be memorial um, awake this afternoon from 3 to 8 o'clock at Smith's Funeral Home in, in Dyer off Route 30. And a celebration service uh, tomorrow night at Living Word Church, I think at 6 or 6.30. But uh, we just re- we remember someone who uh, gave himself first to the Lord, and then secondly, gave himself to God's people. And the temptation I think for 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 some people is as as we get older, we gain more responsibility, we have more things uh, we we need to look after, and so oftentimes as we as we get older, we kind of circle the wagons a little bit, and then. And really make sure that am I taking care of my kids? Am I taking care of my you know work? Am I taking care of my home and all these different things? But fortunately, Chuck was someone who modeled in a way he gave himself to God's people first, and it's a beautiful picture. And today he'll be surrounded by people that that loved him so much because he gave himself to God's people. And my encouragement for us as a church, as God, as God's people that we would prioritize the things that God prioritizes in our lives. And so often we get, we get wrapped up in our own, our own little world, and we need to remember that God calls us to himself and calls us to a people. 
And so that's where our priorities lie. So um, that's tonight and tomorrow. If you have any questions, please, you can see me, and I can help fill in some of the details with the wake and everything. So that being said, let's look over at Isaiah chapter 9 this morning as we celebrate Christmas and remember Jesus Christ and his, his coming. It was the winter of 1914. Hardened German soldiers were living in their dreaded World War I trenches upon the first advent of winter in a war that was about to become the most hostile the world had ever known. Despite the pain of cold and wind and rain and inclement weather, despite the barbed wire, landmines, machine guns, and deadly poison gas, the German army began to do something, something special. They decorated their trenches for Christmas with some very even, small, evenly cut trees with a handful of lit candles, the German troops began what millions of their nation had done for years on December 24th. They prepared for the coming of the Lord. Just a couple of hundred feet away in a strategically drawn trench by the enemies, France and England, singing could be heard. Silent Night was being sung so loud that the Allied forces were overcome with joy. Upon hearing the German army singing out, Christmas carols, the Brits longing for easier days in the hills surrounding London and Wales or wherever, they also began to sing. At first, there was friendly competition based on volume, till both sides sang in unison, each in their native tongue. What happened next was unprecedented in the annals of war history. Ignoring the direct orders to find the enemy army and destroy it, both sides ventured out of their trenches and celebrated Christmas together. Standing in no man's land, not far from a river in Belgium, both sides exchanged handshakes rather than bullets. They gave each other gifts and jam and chocolate and cigarettes and other items. At one front, the men engaged in a friendly game of soccer using their rifles as stand-up goals. And a moment of peace was achieved. But it was only shortly lived. Later that night, some places the next day, the war began again, which would end up claiming over 15 million lives. And to put that into perspective, that's the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Today we live in a Chicagoland area that experienced last year over 400 murders, over 12,000 cases of aggravated assault, and last year, 24,000 violent crimes. And for the population of Chicago, that's one in 10 experienced a violent crime. And in this context, we, there is a longing in our hearts for peace. There's a desire, there's a longing as we sing songs about peace and as we we read about Jesus Christ, there's something inside of us that longs for this peace that this world craves. There's something so beautiful about this picture of peace as, as we think about the Christmas story and sing these songs, but yet in our world, there's very little peace. In a, Isaiah's time, as he's writing Isaiah, and as he's writing particularly this portion of Scripture, there is an Assyrian army bearing down on the nation of Israel. They had their sights set on Israel, and in chapter 8, God tells the Israelites that the Assyrians are, are coming, they're on their way, and they're not coming for a play date. 
They're coming on their way to destroy Israel. And so in that context, we begin to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the, later, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As we read this last week, we saw that in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4, Matthew takes this section of Scripture and begins to interpret it, saying, this is a picture of Jesus Christ, of the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is talking about Jesus Christ and what he was about to do. As we read the names of Jesus that were given to him, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And lastly, we read this, that he is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Verse 7, it gives us the nature of his rule. What will Jesus' rule as the Prince of Peace look like? It's going to be justice and righteousness. So how would God's people see this in Isaiah's day? It's a, it seems impossible. Way too big of a problem for Israel. But verse 4 shows us the way that God brings about this peace. It says this, on the, as in the day... Of Midian, the day of Midian. Now, this is a reference back to an Old Testament passage. In the Old Testament passage is Judges chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. But in Judges chapter 7, there's a man named Gideon. Gideon was set to lead the, the troops of Israel against, against the Midianites. There's a huge battle that's going to ensue. And what happens? Midian shows up with 135,000 troops which is really, really bad news for Israel because they've only got something like 32,000 troops. Now, those aren't odds anyone would bet on, right? 135,000 troops versus 32,000 troops. They are way outnumbered. This is not a battle Israel is ever going to win. This is going to be impossible. So, God does not like those odds. What does God tell Gideon to do? He says, look, if anyone in Israel's camp, if anyone in the Israelite army is afraid, man, you can take off and go home right now. 
Well, that's good news because 22,000 Israelite soldiers are like, dude, we see this army. This is bad for us. We are out of here. Take off. So that leaves Israel with now 10,000 men against 135,000 enemy soldiers, right? God still doesn't like those odds. God says, you know what, those odds, we can do better than that. So here's what happens. He has them all drink from a river, and he kind of sorts out the guys who are drinking from their hands versus the guys who are putting their face in the water. Turns out only 300 of them made the cut. So now it's 300 guys against 135,000 enemy soldiers. Those are odds that God likes. So here's what God says to do. If any victory is seen in the Israelite army, everyone is going to know that it is because the Lord showed up. No one is going to see 300 against 135,000 and say, oh, they've got a chance, right? I mean, these guys, surely, there's no way. Even if they've got tanks and stuff, they're still, they're still out of luck, right? I mean, even in today's warfare with all, this, all the technology we had, it's still bad odds, let alone in their day. So here's what, here's what God tells Gideon to do. He says, look, I want you to divide up your men, three different groups, 100, 100 apiece. I want you to surround this encampment where the, guy, where the enemy is sleeping and put torches with jars over the top of the torches so you can't see the torch that's lit. And then at the same time, I want everyone to break the jar. Torches can be seen now, and I want you to blow a trumpet and watch what happens. Well, Gideon and his army, they do that. Break, they break the jars, torches are seen, they blow trumpets. The guys in the encampment in the valley see the, see the torches, hear the trumpets, freak out, and begin killing one another. Completely slaughtering one another. Unbelievable. What happens? Israel sees a supernatural god glorifying God only victory that day. And so in this passage, as he refers to the day of Midian and what transpires to take place, how, how in the world will 300 guys defeat an army of 135,000? How will we in our day see, as we look around us and we hear the stats about the, the crime in Chicago and in the crime in our own area, how in the world are we ever going to see peace? How is this at all possible? Israel's asking the exact same question. How is it that with the Assyrian army bearing down upon us, how will we ever see peace in our day? And in that way, Jesus shows up. The answer for Israel was not a more elite army, better government, greater protection, better fortified defense systems. Instead, it was a child. It was a child. And from from the human perspective, it's absolutely impossible. But with the Lord, all things are possible. It was the Lord who accomplishes this. And so you can imagine why the people in Isaiah's day they begin to look elsewhere. Look, we've got to find an answer to things. So in, in chapter 8, verse 19, we read this. It says, and when, you, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, 
Should not a people inquire of their God? See, in, a, in Isaiah's day, the temptation for them, the temptation for the people was to say this, look, this is way beyond us. This is too big for God. We need to do something ourselves. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to go to some spiritualists, some people who claim to dabble in the, in the demonic, and we're going to find hope from them. We're going to get answers from them. They're going to be the ones who are going to help deliver us and tell us what to do because this problem is too big for God. So faced with an invasion, with disruption to their own lives, with, in the face of, of no peace, they turn to mediums and these other things. This time of year, we're confronted with movies and TV shows about Christmas and about the peace and the, the stillness. And yet in our own lives, it can be messy. I mean, we're going to have family get-togethers at times that are contentious. It may be difficult. Family members we don't get along with. Parents who we, we haven't quite reconciled with. It's brokenness in our family relationships or in our friendships. Turmoil in our own souls. Disobedience with our children. Violence around us. And the temptation for us, like it was for Israel, is to turn to anything but the Lord. Maybe if I just binge watch enough Netflix. Maybe if I get on the internet and watch whatever I can get my hands on. If I can just zone out on Facebook. If I can pick up another six-pack. If I can watch more football games. If I can do whatever I can to escape. To find my hope. If I can just numb myself to what's going on around me. Maybe it will go away or get better. But this is exactly why Jesus came to earth. Because lasting peace is only found in him. Lasting peace is only found in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 7, the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. His government and of peace with Jesus Christ will never, ever end. It will continue to increase. It will never decrease. It will only continue to, to increase. So how will all this take place? At the end of verse 7, we read this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How is this all possible? It's because God intervenes. Because God alone accomplishes peace. God alone is the one who brings us peace. It's not through a political leader, not through a government, not a, a bigger army. It is the Lord alone who brings peace. In Isaiah's world, it was a Syrian army that was on the way. In Jesus' time, it was the Roman army. In our day, it's ISIS, it's mass shootings, it's refugee crisis, it's conflict and turmoil inside of us. Where will we turn for peace? Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He is our answer. Colossians 1, verse 20 says this. It says, Making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ has become for us our peace. See, our most important need, our most important need is not peace on earth. It's as important as that is, our most important need is to make peace with God. And it's in and through Jesus Christ alone that we have peace with God. 
that through his shed blood on the cross, that forgiveness and relationship is possible only. That is what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus came not just to identify with us, although he does that. Jesus came to redeem us and to save a people for himself. That's the peace that we have with Jesus Christ and only possible through Jesus Christ. That's why he is the Prince of Peace alone. And through the most violent and horrific of deaths of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have peace. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're going to invite the worship team to come back up again. And I'd like to pray, and as we just commit our our time with the Lord to Him, as we just think about this next week and the the time we have together with our family and with friends, with other people around us, and we're going to pray for Jesus Christ, that He would be our peace. So Lord Jesus, Lord, as we remember You as the Prince of Peace, as You are the Prince of Peace, the increase of your government, there will be no end and of peace. Jesus, we thank you that your throne is established with righteousness and justice. That you will set all things right. God, that your peace knows no end. So, Jesus, we run to you today. We look to you. We look nowhere else. God, we don't try to find our peace in the temporary pleasures of this world. Jesus, we find our peace in our life in you alone. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.